0: Oh Christmas Oh Christmas Ladies and gentlemen, Ellen Felt and friends Kate and Jake for this amazing work that they've done. Let's give it up for them. We are we are week 2 of our Christmas Matter series and uh, we're excited about the direction we're headed with it. Um, obviously, as you can tell with the stage props, uh, that there's a progression here of Christ in the home, Christ in the church, and Christ in the community. And what we're trying to drive home, uh, as we've, we've done from time to time in different areas, but specifically the incarnation of Jesus Christ, when God became flesh, and how that plays into the home. Pastor Cameron brought us last week into the idea of when Christ is home, what does that home look like? Today we want to see if when Christ who is essentially the church, the head of the church, what does that look like? And then ultimately next week as we hear from Katie who's going to do an amazing job identifying to us that Christ what it looks like for Christ in the community. And how the home flows into the church and how the church overflows into the community as the extension, as the reach. Now, I don't know about you, Christmas is, uh, uh, obviously, we're, we're here to celebrate a baby that has come to save us all. But um, outside of that, you know that Christmas is, is all about that, but you know that Christmas doesn't just uh, entail that. Christmas is a giant thing, right? It's past just the thing. It's about 5,000 other things. Parties and get-togethers and gifts and zero money you now have because you spent all on the gifts. And now you're gonna re-gift and then you go to shop more and then shop, no more shopping until they have great deals the day after. And then like it all comes up again. And there's all these parties and get-togethers and family things. And, 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 and I think one of the best parts about Christmas even though there's some challenging parts, but I'm sure as you guys have experienced the last, like, two days, some of the best parts about Christmas is, is the movies. Like, revisiting the Christmas movies, those, like, all the feels you get from, from those movies that you watched as a kid. The movies that, like, aren't even that good but they're like on every year for Christmas. And you just watch them. You just spend 90 minutes or two hours staring at a TV. Even though the story's not good, it's just like that's what you do. You just watch that movie. Um, You just do that thing. Isn't it funny how we have all these these traditions? Um, Some traditions are are fun, right? Some traditions are uh, maybe a little silly. And some traditions may just outright be something that you'd rather just Rip your eyelashes out, like there's just something else you'd rather be doing. We have all these traditions that play into what is called Christmas or the Christmas season. And what we do to celebrate the birth of Jesus Um, and how that plays into our lives and how it like evolves every year never ceases to amaze me. But as we look this week, as we look today at what it means for Christ and the church, Christ become, becoming incarnate, becoming the flesh on this earth. What does that look like for the church? Obviously, there's a hundred different ways that we could go. But I want to go one direction today. One direction today. Have you, have you ever been, um, in your life, have you ever been stuck up for? Like, Legitimately? Like you were, you were in trouble, and someone stepped in the mix, and said, "Huh? Maybe it was on a playground. Maybe it was on your street corner. Maybe it was in a board meeting. Maybe it was a spot where, where even specifically uh, those that that know, uh, and obviously all, most of you do, Quint." And Aaron, who are in a spot where uh, life has put them in um, and circumstances put them in a hard and difficult spot during a season like this. And, like, I think I was handed so much, like, loot um, from in the last, like, half an hour for people. that are like, I just want to bless them. And and in some way, shape, or form, life has stepped in and given them a difficult circumstance. And the people that know them, the people that love them have stepped in the way and says, "Uh uh-uh. I may not be able to fix a situation, but I can, first of all, I can pray to God who is in absolute control of the situation and I can cook some meals. I can buy some gift cards. I can do some things. And as you're stepping in the way, we're in these situations all the time where somebody's going through something and you step in between the bully and the person that's affected and you say, huh? uh And you encourage them and you lift them up. This morning... As we see Christ in the church and how the home, the stable flowed in to the church, I want to see how Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the person, the God who stepped in and said, huh uh. Nope. To get to them, you got to go through me. Right? Okay. I'm excited now. All right. So we are going to be in Colossians chapter 2 and in John chapter 8. So mark both of those and here we go. <laughs> um, Christmas is uh, certainly an interesting time where you... Uh, you have these, as I mentioned, traditions or things you do, get-togethers um, with family and whatnot, but one what of my, my favorite things, and again, I think this plays into, I don't even think it's that great of a movie, but it just plays into, since 1997, there's a movie that has been playing, that plays 24 hours a day um, for, uh, I think it's on Christmas Day, um, typically on like TNT or TBS, I haven't had cable in years and years, but I know that it's on. Um, And now things like Netflix or iTunes or whatever, you can just see it anytime you want, on your phone or TV or whatever. It's the movie A Christmas Story. Now, um, I've kind of narrowed this this idea down to, like I remember uh, on different Christmases, and since 1997, um, this movie has been playing 24 hours a day. I think it's on Christmas Day. Um, And I remember going to different families get-togethers. Like, uh, you go to your grandparents on this side, or you go to your aunts and uncles on this side. And I remember sometimes like that movie always being in the background. Can anybody identify with that? Um, cool. Well, with that, you don't ever sit down with that movie. You never just sit down and watch the thing. What you do is you catch different parts. You catch different things that happen in the movie. And, and I love, like one of the reasons I love this movie um, even though it's, the plot's really weird and, and not even worth addressing. But one of the things I love about this movie is that there is this bully. This this bully. He's just taller than everybody else. And he's got like this crazy red, it's either red hair or it's like this hat he wears. And it's, he's got like, he's just a, he's kind of a scary looking dude. And his name is Scut. Not Scott, Scutt. Scut. Marcus. And I don't know if it's because he's angry that his parents named him that or what, but he's got a lot of things that are built up. And in this movie, he pesters all the kids of the neighborhood. And so, where it's Christmas time, and I mean, their mom bundles them up, and, and Ralphie is the main character. And if you know Ralphie, he's the one with the glasses. And all he wants, the whole premise of the movie, is he wants this Red Rider BB gun. And he goes on to, to explain more than just that. But it's essentially that. And every time he goes to see Santa about it, every time he talks to his mom and dad about it, every time he tells his teachers about it, every time he tells his, ki- his friends about it, they say the same thing. They say, you're going to shoot your eye out, right? And so he's scared to death that this isn't going to happen. But the whole movie is about like, his focus on that. And so because that's his focus, everything else is like in the way of getting his BB gun, including Scut. Farkas, right? And so this kid, this bully, and his little friend, every day on the way to school or on the way home from school or whatever, they come out of some alley, and here comes Scott Farkas, and he's talking trash, and he's pushing his little brother, and, and they're like bundled up, and they can't really, like they have so many coats on, they can't even really move that well, and they just get picked on, and they get yelled at, and they get laughed at, until one day, <laughs> till one day, Ralphie is walking through, and not only did Scott, Marcus, and his friend make fun of his little brother, which that's enough. That's enough, right? Out of nowhere, Snowball comes and hits Ralphie right in the eye. And every one of his nightmares about him not getting his writer Ryder BB gun, it's the fact because he's going to shoot his eye out and he'll break his glasses. And then his mom and dad will be so mad at him. But in this moment, a snowball hits his glasses right in the eye and the music just stops. And Ralphie looks up and he wipes his, his snow off his face and he mo- removes his glasses and he begins to cry. And you know that things start to escalate at that moment. Scott Farkas and his little bully friend start laughing at him, he says, Oh, are you gonna cry? You're gonna cry. And he does. He begins to cry more, and all his friends are just looking around like, oh boy. And then all of a sudden the narrator comes on, which is the, the inside mind voice of of Ralphie. Are you guys with me? Well, yeah. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. Sorry, I get wrapped up in the story. And he <laughs> says, he says something to the effect, the effect of this little fire inside of my mind. Just lit into which burn, will burn into a burning rage and blah, blah, blah. And he just starts going crazy. And all of a sudden, he gets mad and he runs after Scut Farkas. <laughs> I got to be careful how I say that. Um, <laughs> And so he runs after him and he tackles this kid who's like twice his size and the bully runs down and Ralphie just begins beating on this kid. Now this is like old school movie so there's no, it's like he's hitting his jacket and he's just going nuts on this kid, right? And all the kids are now gathered around in the fence like, what is Ralphie doing? But at the same time they're like, yeah, get him! Like this kid's been picking on us for years and now he's down for the count. And he starts like, for the of, he, he's just saying like that, but implying that he's saying other words. And here comes Ralphie's mom, like, running onto the scene. And one of the kids is like, shh, Ralphie, Ralphie, your mom, shh. Because like, he's saying all these things he shouldn't say. And she pulls him off. And it's this whole moment where all of a sudden he steps in and he says, nope. This, is, this will happen no longer. This will happen no longer. And this is the picture I get of John 8. This is the picture I get of Colossians 1 and 2. When I think about Christ being the head of the church, who's the, who's the bully that Jesus stands up to? Let's see. Let's see. First go to Colossians 2. Or excuse me, let's start in verse 1, or chapter 1 and verse 3. This is the... Uh, when, when Pastor Ben and Pastor Cameron and Katie, Quint, and I are talking about this, um, kind of talking about and the, the idea of Christ in the church and, and the idea of how sometimes our hearts as pastors or, or staff for you guys, like it's hard to describe what we really desire for you. And I love this passage because the Apostle Paul spells it right out. He's writing to the church of Colossae and he's writing the things that he desires for them because he's been hearing what kind of church this is. He's been hearing what kind of things are happening in a good way. And he addresses the fact of how he's going to pray for them. Verse 3 says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus... And of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the, wor- in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. So this is exciting. The church is growing, the church is moving. And specifically in this church in Colossi, he's addressing the fact that we always thank God for you. And then when we pray, these are the things that we pray for. Skip down to verse 9. Verses 9 through 14. He addresses essentially five things that he um, prays for them. Verses 9 through 15. I've just kind of narrowed it down to summarize. And one of them He desires and prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of His will. We desire for you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. We desire God to connect with the very life that you're living, and the very struggles that you have, and the very insecurities that you face, and the very difficult angles that you have, the relationships that are difficult. We desire that you will be, number one, filled with knowledge of His will. The second thing pray for is for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding to see the things that you're dealing with. And that you can chart through the journey with wisdom. Not worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom. Spiritual wisdom. The understanding that sometimes the hard way is the right way. That sometimes the difficult decisions is what God is asking us it's the, it's the sea that he's asking us to, to chart on, to chart the course on the sea that's difficult. So spiritual wisdom and understanding. Number three, so that you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. This is why we live. This is why we're alive, It's to please him, to honor him. And so that is our greatest desire for our own life. But it's our greatest desire for you. Is that you live a life that's pleasing to Him. Not based on what some rules that we come up with. Not even based on ultimately what rules the church. Like even misconstruing God's word comes up with. But ultimately what His word says and what He has fulfilled. And you pleasing Him through faith in Jesus Christ. And outflowing from that a life worthy that He smiles. That He smells of sweet fragrance in your life. That's what we desire. Number four, we desire, we pray for you that you're bearing fruit in good works. That you're bearing fruit in good works and knowledge, action. We desire that you're on mission. We desire that you're busy doing the work of the Lord in your life, in your home. In your church and in your community. Number five, strengthened with all power of his glorious might. Strengthened with all power of his glorious might. This is not about your strength. And church, this is not about our strength. It's about his strength. That's our greatest desire and when we feel weak, when we have the dark night of the soul, when such and such happens in our family and such such and such happens in our church, it's not even about us just rallying together and us grabbing hand in hand and us putting hand in hand. It's not just saying, hey, look at all we can do together. It's ultimately about the power and the might of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us reach. That's what makes us overflow into where Katie's taking us next week into the community. This is why it's mirrored this way. You say like, oh, well, like, why'd they put the stable in the middle of the church? Like, shouldn't it be like over here? So it's like a pretty little thing. No, this is purposeful. And we wanted you to understand, as we did last week, that as Cameron said, I have to, I have to read a quote of something that he pointed out so clearly in regards to our lives, but in today in regards to the church, that this stable represents our home. He says that uh, Pastor Cameron said last week. He says when we see the nativity scene, we may think nostalgic and ideal, but it was far from that. It was far from that. So far from that. And he walked us through how Mary and Joseph that night, with all that surrounded them, was not so ideal. And we can have these little things set up in our homes, like, oh, this is what it looked like, and the star perfectly placed, and all the animals are quiet and don't smell, and all these things that seem like ideal. That was the farthest thing from ideal, but that was the most beautiful picture about it. And that was what, like the stable says something. Your home says something. Your home is not all put together. Like it may look a certain way, but you know in your heart it is not. Your own heart, like it may look a certain way, but you know good and well that it's not where it needs to be. It is not ideal by any means. He went on to say that uh, ground zero for Christ... to to reside. Ground zero for Christ to come and live is not the ideal. It's in the brokenness. The ground zero for Christ to come and reside is not the ideal. It's the brokenness. So if you're here today, and regardless of what you feel like, regardless of where you're at, if you're broken... You're actually in a spot where Christ can land. And He can make it all beautiful. And then if you see your life in that way, that's your home. That's your heart. It's not like you're in a broken place. You've come in the doors. Welcome to church. Welcome to church. Behind me, Behind the set is a wall. That was intended, and we've said this several times, the intention, like, probably more so after it was being done, because the pallet wall for a while was just like, yeah, that's really cool. It's a really cool thing to do, right? But once we started piecing it together, we realized, and the irony is that all these pieces were not like actual pallets broken up somewhere, but the majority of them were were garbage pallet, Pieces of wood. They are at a local pallet place, place that sells pallets and they were in a pile ready to be burned or ready to be garbage because they weren't going to be used. A bunch of broken pieces made this beautiful, beautiful wall. Welcome to the church. Your homes, your hearts, broken. May not feel so idealistic. May not feel so awesome. But when you come and you sit, And when you live in your open house and you speak and you do life and you hear the needs of your brother and your sister and you hear their heart and you walk them through and they're walking you through, that's the church. And that's this broken hearts, broken homes, together ultimately making this beautiful wall called the church. And that's what we want the community to see. Because we don't, want to look ideal. We want to look saved. Does that make sense? You see the difference there? Like, we want to look redeemed. We want to look like, like yeah, dude, Like I'm so broken, but I am so holy in the eyes of God. You see, church is not just this place where you're like, you celebrate your brokenness. Like, I'm not good. I'm here. Like, you're not good. Let's celebrate together. That's not what church is. You know you're, like, not in a good place, or you know you're broken place. But guess what? God doesn't see that because of your faith. Your faith makes God see you as holy. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He sees you as pure, as the white snow. That's probably a bad analogy on a weekend like this. But he blankets this pure white over you, not because of what you've done or how many times you've put your rear end in the seat, He sees that because of your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross because of what he did in the stable and now what he's doing in the church. This is the picture of Christ and the church. Brokenness together makes a beautiful, beautiful building. What makes this building great? Not the building, the people. And you know that. And every person out there that's not in this room yet needs to know that you don't got to get your junk together, Jesus will work on that. And a lot of times, I think that the church has gotten confused on this. This whole idea that, um, <laughs> this whole idea that um, the church is a place, the church is a place for, for Christians, for saints, and it is but we were sinners. The only reason we're not sinners, the only reason we're saints, is because of Him. Not because of you or me. Like, yeah, like we're being sanctified, and and, and then we're getting ready to see in John 8, like we're seeing this woman who was challenged to go and sin no more. Like, we're not here to celebrate our sin. We're here to celebrate a Savior. Knowing that we sin. Not our desire, not our hope, not our aim. But the very reason that we sin gives us this advocate, this reminder, this reminder of that white as snow is my soul. Because of my faith and trust and salvation in Jesus Christ. So I thought, like, I thought Jesus made this clear. When he didn't get come in and the red carpet and trumpets. He, he made it clear by coming to a barn. An overflow of animals and stuff. Like, I thought he made that clear that he didn't come for the kings and the, 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 the people that think they have it all together and they have all this money and that like you got to be in this prestigious spot and spiritually or physically or financially or mentally in order to receive God. He came as low as he could so that he could come for everyone and that as kings will be saved. And as every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord, they will recognize that it's for the poor and for the rich, for those that are broken and that those that don't think they're broken. He's for them too. And we see that in John 8. Let's go there. John chapter 8. It's uh, maybe not your typical Christmas passage. Um, (laughs) Keep a thumb in Colossians 2 though because we're coming back. Um, Sometimes we uh sometimes we get to Christmas and the reason, if I'm honest, sometimes the reason that we have a hard time with um get-togethers or pressure of buying gifts or not having enough money for that or like there's just even though things may be slower at your job or kids are off school in a couple weeks or whatever, um, it seems like the pressure is heightened, right? the the tension the tension is heightened, and in those relationships that we have, um, we sometimes. That like magnifies. Let me say that clearly. Sometimes the relationships that we have are magnified. Um, the issues of their life is, is magnified because of something broken in here. And I got to be honest, like that's a struggle of mine sometimes. If you're hurting, you tend to see other people's wounds is bigger than they really are. What's wrong with us? You know? I feel like when I read this story sometimes maybe maybe nothing's changed. We're human. And we make these, we have these relationships that we struggle with. Maybe you see them once a year, but that thing they did eight years ago is relived. How they didn't meet your expectation is right here. Um, We're so hard on each other. I love this church. And I love the love that is here. And I love the unity that is here. I love the um, sense of, of diversity that we have, the sense of, of grace that we have for one another. I think it is a picture of what the church should be in so many ways in relationship. It's beautiful. If we're not careful, we'll slowly creep into the way that we think about others. Because in, envir- in, an, in an environment, it's contagious. You walk into a church that's loving and receiving and welcoming, and you automatically are typically in that mode. And I, and I think I see that every week. It's exciting. It's encouraging. I can't wait to get here. Even though I'm here every day. Like, I can't wait to be here. Where the people I work with or the people I see on Sunday or whatnot, like, it's, it's great. I love it. But if we're not careful, those things in the depths of our heart, that hurt, that pain, that difficult, that tension, will overflow to those relationships which will overflow ultimately to the church. And so we have to encourage each other. We have to uplift each other in this. We have to know what the joy of the Lord is. We have to carry that about in our relationships. Um, All right, let's look at John 8 says that um, you can listen or you can follow along. Um, Verse 2. Early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again to the the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees, which were essentially like the religious leaders, the pastors, the priests, they were the guys that taught the law, they were the guys that ran the temple, which is essentially, and that time was their church. Um... They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So Jesus, what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. <laughs> Jesus began, <laughs> Jesus bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. Or excuse me, the back up, sorry. And they continued to ask him. And Jesus stood up. Come on! And he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before her. Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, I'm sure like way more, it sounds... It was way more respectful than I just said it. Sorry. Woman. (laughs) Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go. And from now on, sin no more. These... Church leaders tested the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Mm -mm. I love how Jesus has this amazing ability in His life. And, And when it's been recorded in different scenarios, I love how He has this ability in some ways to have a righteous, sinless anger, and in some ways, have this ability in that moment specifically to channel the anger that he has built up inside and point it and focus it on the freedom of this woman. Do you see that? Who are we to call out others without seeing our own sin? You see, so easily in the church we get confused on, like, if if the church is a collection of stables, if the church is just a mosaic of a bunch of homes, and there's all this brokenness, and there's all this, like, lives lives of sin, and, and, and people that are, like, trying to not sin because they love Jesus so much, but, like, because of all that, like, isn't that, like, messing with the purity of what the church is? And I would say, no. No. You see, Jesus died to take away that sin by our faith. And so again, we aren't here to celebrate our sin, we're here to celebrate the Savior. Now let's dive into this story for a bit. It says twice that this woman was caught in adultery. It says clearly the second time that this woman was caught in the act of adultery, So I'm putting two to two together that this woman, if she was caught in the act of committing adultery and they dragged her before the midst of the temple and Jesus who was teaching, she may not have, have had clothes on. They wanted to make a public spectacle of her decision. But last time I checked... It takes, like, I don't know that, in that case, I don't know that she could, could have committed adultery all by herself. But I think there was multiple people that they were, was dragging one person. So I don't know where that guy is, but for whatever reason they chose to pick on her. And you don't pick on her. I don't care if what she was caught doing She's got no clothes on. You, were, Jesus is in this moment of anger. He's channeling it. But he's not seeing the spectacle. He's not seeing that everybody's watching. He's seeing her heart and how she needs freedom. He's seeing her heart that he doesn't just want her to stop what she's doing. He wants something better for her. He wants forgiveness for her. He wants her to see that there's a better way. He wants her to see that there's a better life. He wants her to see that she can be released from this thing that she feels so trapped in, in the decisions that she's made. But I don't like the fact that they didn't drag the guy in. And neither does Jesus. So much so that, like, <laughs> the, I, there's so much the Bible leaves out sometimes, specifically when it says that Jesus bent down and he was riding on the ground. What did he write? (laughs) Come on, like, think about this. Jesus never wrote anything. I mean, other than the word, inspired through 40 different people, right? But Jesus himself on there didn't write anything that was recorded. So there's this one time where Jesus is writing something. It's recorded, guys. He's writing something down. Get it. You got all these other details. Like, run over there, real quick. Like, what's he writing? Somebody tell me what he was writing. I can only speculate. But I have a feeling that what Jesus was thinking about was the freedom of this girl, of this woman. He was thinking about the church, of which all these people are a part of the church, and all their broken lives, including this woman, was a part of this beautiful picture of this wall. She was one piece, a one broken piece, but ultimately because of eventually her faith. And Jesus, she will be redeemed and she will be a part of this beautiful wall of brokenness called the church. And Jesus had that in mind. I don't know. What, what was he writing? I'm sorry. I, I, I get all caught up in this, this part. Because I'm like, I love, I love a good fight. I love a good debate. I love like, oh, so he gets down. Did he write on the ground? Was he writing those religious leaders that had stone, stones in their hand that were lined up, ready to stone her? Like, and that was a part of the law. But you know what the law of Moses, that they challenged the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know, like, the one who fulfilled the law, the one that they were challenged, they didn't read the whole law. It says the man and woman that was caught will be stoned. So, like, Jesus didn't correct him on the technicality of that. But he began to write on the ground, did he write? the sins of those men? Did he write, perhaps, the names of the women that they were with? Come on! Because in that moment, something crazy happened. That when Jesus stood up These pious, nitpicking punks who were supposed to be the leaders of this broken wall, this broken, beautiful mosaic of what it looks like to follow Jehovah. They were supposed to be that. All of a sudden, conviction or fear or something else came in mind and they dropped the stones and they left. And it says that the older ones did first, maybe because of wisdom, or maybe because their list was longer than the younger preachers. But something drastic happened, and Jesus stood in the place, and he says, "Uh uh-uh. We're in this weird spot as a church, not a conduit church, but as a capital C church in the world. We're in this weird spot of what denomination or what country or what leaders stand on this issue and they stand on this theological issue or this doctrinal issue or this, this social issue and there's all this confusion of who stands on one side and who stands on the other and in the midst of all that, Jesus stands in the middle and says, ha uh He didn't correct the fact that they're, they're, like the law said that. No, well, that's not the point. He's seeing the woman that's trapped, that's consumed and drowning in their sin. But he also sees those men who are drowning and in their sin. And in the midst of his anger where he wants to hurt these men, I'm sure, he channels that in a godly manner, that he is God with skin. He channels that to the woman's freedom. May that be our practice as our homes flow in God. This church. Where we see the sinner way before we see the sin. That we see our sin. And we go to the one who can cleanse us from our sin before we focus so much on their sin. I remember... uh, I remember I was probably junior high, and uh, I uh, I was the youngest. I was the youngest like cousin of all, both sides—my mom's side and my dad's side—and so it was kind of like a, a runt perspective. Maybe that's why I like a good fight where the the underdog beats up the bully, because like I've been there too many times, unfortunately. Um, um, and so, like, we would have these, these Thanksgiving or Christmas get-togethers. Uh, specifically this one, um, I was thinking this week about um, how we try to control people and how we try to fix people in our mind. And it carries out in our heart and our actions and, like, we, we all get there. And I, I remember specifically walking into, I was a junior high uh, kid, and I walked through the kitchen of my aunt's home. And I remember, like, there's, we, we never saw our family much at all. And, and, and not for really any like, like glaring reason, but anytime time that we did get together, I always just felt like um, conflict or tension is probably a better word for it. Can you relate to that? Because of this or that? And when you're in like fifth, sixth grade, what? I mean, what do you know? You're just watching the Christmas story, you know? Like, you just can't wait for the pie, and, and you're just like doing whatever. And I had a cousin who's, who's uh, about a year older than me, and, um, and so we like had to stick together, and I remember specifically walking th- out of their hall and through the living room, and I remember specifically my grandpa um, sleeping, snoring louder than it's healthy for any human to make any type of noise like that in the, the recliner, um, and I remember my uncle uh, doing the same and kind of like hearing complaints about how they can't hear the game because they're so loud and like they're like legitimately mad about it and so like sometimes when you're around conflict you're like okay I got to get out of here and so I leave that room and I walk through the small doorway into the kitchen and it's just big sprawling beautiful kitchen and I literally like all the 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 ants were in there my mom was in there my grandma was in there and they're just like and like I was excited about the meal that was about to happen like I could name you like all that was there I still taste it in my mind and it's amazing and if I get caught there too long I'll stay there. Um, But I'm walking through, I'm walking through and I hear complaining and I hear nitpicking like this needs more salt or why didn't you bring your pretzel salad this year? And why didn't this happen? And why didn't that happen? And again, me and my cousin uh, Larry walking through the kitchen like, okay, we got to get out of here. And they said no already to the pies and the cakes and all the other things. And so we grabbed a dinner roll on our way out, or a few, and we ran outside, right? And so we go outside and we like chewing them up and throwing them at each other and stuff like that. Um, but I remembered that, like that picture is in my mind. And I'm imagining this thing that sometimes we do in our lives is it's like, it's like we have these knobs in our lives, like, that are the people are the knobs. And they, we want this person to just be more of this, and we want that person to be less of that. And we want this person to do this. And if that all comes into play, then, then I'll be good to go. Do you feel that way? Don't leave me alone up here. Do you feel that way? Okay. Think about the people. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Did you say Christmas vacation? Oh, I thought you said Christmas vacation. I, wow, there's where my mind is. We could go there too. Um, <laughs> Christmas vacation. Um, the different people that we have in our life, the expectations we put on them and how they're missing that. Not realizing that we're a knob in five other people's. Lies. We're missing the mark. We're not doing as much that they think we should be doing and how we should be doing it. and It's hard. And you're all shaking your heads. You're like, you know what that pressure... You know what the pressure is to be like, like the weight on you because you're not who somebody wants you to be. Then why on earth do you take that upon yourselves and do it to them? Why do I do it to them? These guys, in a more radical way, we're doing that with this woman. They, I mean, they, they had sin. Obviously, they dropped the rocks and they, they left. But they thought her sin was way, way worse. And in some ways, the consequences are greater. Some of the ways of her choices or consequences are louder. Sin is sin before a holy God. And Jesus addresses that. Like, again, church is not this place where we're celebrating sin. We're celebrating the Savior. So Jesus isn't in that moment. He's not like, hey, guys, it's cool. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm here. I'm the, the author of all of creation, and, and I, I mean, like, I'm in charge. So I'm good with it, so you should be good with it too. No. Jesus addresses her sin. In fact, Jesus stood twice. The first, he stood up to them. He stood again, gently, posture of love, and says to her, go, I don't condemn you, but sin no more from now on. See, Jesus is holy before he's love. He's louder with his holiness for eternity, and we have to get this. That before this church is a place of love and acceptance, we have to first understand that it's a place of holiness. It's a place where we worship a holy God. And your sin and my sin is not acceptable by the very nature of light and darkness. They can't mix. God is holy. It cannot. Sin and God cannot go hand in hand. So even just the concept of heaven and hell is not a matter of like God not liking certain people and they didn't check this box when they voted and they didn't do this thing or that thing so now they have to go to hell. It's a simple nature science of the fact that God in his very character and nature is holy more than anything and you can't go to heaven and I can't go to heaven unless I'm holy perfect Newsflash, that's why Jesus came That's why he came humbly. That's why he stood for this woman saying hey Everybody sins and everybody comes short of the glory of God for all have sinned There's none righteous. No, not one. For the wages, the payment, the the spankings that we get. For our sin is hell and damnation away from God. The worst part of hell is not the fire part the dark part. The worst part about hell is the separation from a holy God. The only reason we're in hell is because we rejected the faith and the free gift that he offered. Do you see that? Like, I know I said hell in church. I know, like, okay, I'm writing him off. They talk about hell here. Well, read the Bible. It talks a lot about it. Hell is why Jesus came. He doesn't want you to go there. Hell, like Jesus came as a man so you would not under, like, get a picture of the incarnation of God. God with skin. Jesus, it says, oh, okay, let's go there. Colossians 2, go back. Colossians 2, it says in verse thir- 15, Jesus is not just some guy that was teaching in the temple. Jesus was not just some baby that came to like make Christmas all marshmallows and fluffy pancakes. I don't know, that doesn't make any sense, I know, but follow me. <laughs> Jesus, I'll, I'll read what Paul says, it's a much better description. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You can't see God. God. you can see Jesus and Jesus is God he was God when he lived on this earth and then when he left he sent his Holy Spirit which is God as well dwelling in the hearts and the lives of those that put their faith in him (laughs) he was God He was the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Do you hear that? Everything was created by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus. Do you get that? Jesus is not some afterthought. We don't even need to enter the argument that we'll need to put Christ back in Christmas. Jesus is not offended that people left him out of Christmas. Jesus is offended that they left Christ out of everything. And bringing Christ back into everything is not some flag planting political scheme of what, what it looked like in the 50s. Being the church that's moving and breathing in an action, the Jesus that's, that like died for us and he sent his Holy Spirit living in through us, the church is the arm that is reaching to the community. That is what it looks like for Christ in us, in our home, to our church, to the community. The invisible God becoming visible through the Holy Spirit, through your bodies, through your works, through your pocketbook, through your time, through the sweat, through the tears, through the ears of the listening of the people that are hurting, for being here for other people. That's God. That's Him becoming incarnate and real to this world. It's not us planting a flag and saying, put a bumper sticker on or wearing a t-shirt or saying that, that Christmas used to be like this. Well, Christmas has a new different definition. Same thing happened. Nothing's changed, but our culture's different. And it's time for us to step up and love. And it's time for us to step up and tell the truth about God. He is holy. And there's no way I'm getting there. There's no way you're getting there unless I, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ and how he paid for my sins. And he came in a humble way. So it's not just for, like, the prestigious. It's not just for the rich. It's for everyone. And are you in or are you not in? How do you get in? Believe. He has created all things, sorry, calm down, okay, all things were created through him and for him, and Jesus is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. So when Jesus takes a stand for the sinner, for you and I, it's because he's the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything that he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God, all the holiness of God, the love and the grace and the mercy and the hope of God was packaged in a baby named Jesus in a not so idealistic situation but it created the greatest story ever told that changed everything and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile himself All things. We weren't made this broken. In the beginning, when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, things weren't made broken. Sin and our choice made that broken. So when it says that Jesus is reconciling all things, he's not just talking about fixing your circumstance. He's talking about fixing our soul. Fixing our relationship with him and obeying <laughs> and seeking the freedom and the hope that he's essentially created and given. He's just come to fix what we broke. So don't be, don't be offended or knocked off your rocker when we talk about sin and holiness and hell. Like, yeah, it's a mess. But he came to fix the mess. And we won't see, ultimately, what that looks like fixed until eternity. But he's coming back again. And this time he's not coming back, riding on the ground, calling the woman's sin out and saying sin no more. He's coming back with a sword. With judgment. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is God. He's not just some good teacher or a man that died and sacrificed his life for the sins of the world. He's God. He rose from the dead. He's alive. He flew up to heaven. He sent his spirit and he gave it to you. So we have no reason um, to try to catch each other in our mess. It doesn't mean we don't speak truth in love. It doesn't mean we don't show grace through our words and calling things out, hard conversations. It just simply means maybe that you step, that I step in the mirror and I stand where Jesus stood and see Him how He sees me. For you this Christmas, church, (laughs) maybe the greatest thing you can do in embodying Jesus in your life this Christmas is stop nitpicking your family and those that have not met your expectations. We keep trying to catch people at their worst. We're better than that because of Jesus. We're holy. and If we saw that, if we saw people through His eyes, it it would change everything. I just want to encourage you guys today. As I pray for you, as I think about you guys, not just in this moment, as we as leaders as as open house leaders pray and lead their groups like this is our heart that those five things that we laid out that we'd be a picture of what Christ looks like not just in the home but in the church and in those moments where you feel like you're the victim like you've messed it up and it feels like they have stones They meaning the world. Maybe you're not the one that's like, okay, step aside from the fact that you're being hard on people in your mind and and you're you're making a list and turning knobs of where they missed the boat. But maybe you're the one that the pressure is on. And it's heavy. And it's hard. And you walk in here or you limp in here and you feel like you've missed it. You've messed it all up. You're caught. You're naked. You're consumed and covered with the mistakes that maybe nobody knows about, but maybe you know about. And maybe you're tired of running from that, tired of like trying to hide that. Understand that just like in those moments when those men stood there with their stones and they they were ready to throw it. They were ready to annihilate and to get rid of this problem and if you're the problem may you see that ultimately as a follower of Jesus that and even like in that day when Jesus stood he stood in a place where it made those men it made those accusers say essentially oh he's taller than I thought he was He's taller than you think he is. He's stronger than you think he is. He's mightier than you think he is. He's tougher than you think he is. He's more protective than you think he is. He's more powerful than you think he is. And in this moment, at that moment, He is without sin. And in this moment, He is without anger. And in this moment, he is without a stone. And in this moment, He is without a trap. This Jesus is forgiving. And this Jesus is cleansing. And this Jesus is empowering. And this Jesus is overwhelming. And this Jesus is consuming. And this Jesus is restoring. And because of Him, you're loved. Because of Him, you're delivered. Because of Him, you're completely consumed by His very nature of holiness. And because of him, you're liberated. Because of him, you're requested. And because of him, you're credited. He's going to free you. He's going to fulfill you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to heal you. He's going to recreate you. Because he protects you by his blood. So well, as we close, I want you to be motivated and inspired and encouraged. And if you need prayer, come pray. If you need a hug, come hug. If you need hope, I'll bring it all again to you and remind you. But just know that Jesus is not the one calling the meeting to stone you. Jesus is the one that stands for you and he says to the world and he says to your sin and he says to the devil and he says to the opposition as he stands he says you're gonna have to go through me to get to them that is the church would you stand and pray